I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric at home of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. Today we welcome Pete Medhurst to the show. Pete, how are you? Thanks for coming on. Good, Doug. How you doing today? Doing great. Hey, usually I do a little research and for the guest. With you, Pete, I need an extra segment. You've been very busy. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, it's the way. Um, it's the way I think it should always be. You should always get a chance to uh, maximize what you're doing, and that's all I try to do each and every day uh, is maximize opportunities that are given to me and see where they lead us to. You are the Rosecroft ra- uh, Raceway announcer. Is that right? That is correct. That is calling the racing the field, or that's both? Uh, I call the races, and um, that has afforded me the opportunity. I have filled in at Laurel Raceway in Charlestown, uh, filled in at Vernon Downs up in New York. So it's, um, you know, harness racing is a, it's slightly different than thoroughbred racing, but uh, at the same time, uh, the, the object is the same. Accurately describe where the horses are and make sure you get the right one coming under the wire at the end. Now, did you grow up on a horse track? Because it's not something that you generally stumble into, is no, it? No, I had um, neighbors uh, in my neighborhood that uh, the lady that was the resident manager for the neighborhood uh, used to call me to go cut people's grass in our neighborhood. And uh, I got to be friendly with them. They had uh, harness racing horses with one of the legends in harness racing, Roger Hammer. And uh, they, they. What is the difference? Let's, uh, let's switch gears for a minute. The GM for the Cats recently said, he doesn't think ponying up for a coach will be a problem going forward. Clearly a shot at ownership. Do you think that Boudreaux reunion is in the play or will they be looking to go younger this time? It's a great question. Uh, there's obviously some proven uh, folks out there uh, who can coach uh, the likes of the Peter LaViolette, Gerard Gallants. Um, you know, if you want to really go drastic, you could go Mike Babcock. Problem with Bruce was, I mean, Bruce opened up the offense, but the team defensively wasn't um, wasn't very disciplined. And that's the, you know, you, you look at the team that they got knocked out by. The Islanders are defensively disciplined. So I think that's the one thing that would, would scare you off with a Boudreaux reunion. You know, Peter Laviolette is a guy that certainly has proven in short doses, that two- to three-year window, uh, to be a, a proven commodity, and that's probably what you have left with Alexander Ovechkin. So maybe he's the way you go. Maybe Brian McClellan is waiting for somebody that's, uh, you know, still coaching. Who knows uh, to see if they become available. But, you know, at the same time, uh, the window for Alexander Ovechkin, uh, you know, is certainly closing. It's not, you know, opening with uh, a lot of years left with it. So you want to make the most of it. So I, I think you have to go an experienced coach uh, and, and see where it goes and, and let Ovi play it out uh, and, and see what happens. Do we know who the netminder is going forward? Is Sam Sovnov, is he the man for the job now? I would think Sam Sovnov, uh, obviously, he's got to be healthy coming back from this neck issue. Right. Uh, but certainly, you know, they have done a masterful job 
uh, drafting and developing goalies. That's the one thing they have done. The rest of their farm system, you can argue, hasn't produced a whole uh, lot of uh, great talent, to be honest with you. But the goalies, that's a different story. When they've needed one, they've had one. Uh, and certainly in the doses of Samsonov we have seen, uh, he's proven to be uh, a high-caliber uh, NHL netminder. So you, I think they're hoping he comes back healthy and is um, – you know, somebody's going to make Braden Holpe an offer that the Caps just can't match in terms of the salary cap. I mean, that's a that, that's almost a sure thing. If for some reason they don't, I, I wouldn't rule out the Capitals uh, trying to keep him around. Uh, but the question's going to be is is how big is that offer? Somebody maybe a Calgary, uh, you know, an Edmonton. Uh, how how big is that offer going to be uh, for him? And uh, can the Capitals get anywhere close to it because of the salary cap? Uh, not just the salary cap, but will he be in jeopardy of being lost to Seattle? Will it be this offseason that they start plucking players to fill their roster? Yeah, I don't think – but, I mean, he's a free agent, so uh, okay. he, he, you can't protect him. I, I think the guy the guy that you probably got to watch is Oshie in terms of um, – I think the Caps may dangle him out there and, and hoping that age and, you know, contract maybe scare people away. Uh, from from taking him but uh, that would be the one you know high, high visible uh, veteran guy that uh, to me would, would be worth keeping an eye on depending on how they uh, who they protect uh, for the upcoming draft for the Seattle Kraken the Seattle Kraken does right how does how does that work I know they just did this for the uh, Las Vegas team how do they pick players and, and how do teams protect players uh, you submit a list, um, and if one of your players gets picked, you uh, are able to pull back uh, someone off of your list uh, at that point. So uh, I, I thought, you know, George McPhee did a masterful job uh, in Vegas. And um, it's going to be interesting uh, to see uh, what Seattle does and how they choose to, to, to build their team. Uh, a lot of it will, go, will depend on uh, coaching philosophy and who they hire to be their first coach and, and what way – uh, they want to play. That's going to be the that's going to be the first thing. Seattle's got to figure out uh, what way uh, they want to play at this point. Do they want to add some older veterans uh, and kind of a mix like you know Vegas did with Mark Andre Fleury in the net and uh, things of that nature, and that kind of worked out for them. So uh, th- th- it's always always fascinating to see which philosophy a expansion team wants to build with. Last one on the Caps is Ovechkin the most underrated superstar that we've seen? I understand how you're asking the question, and I I don't think so from this standpoint. I mean, his numbers speak for themselves. He's in every conversation uh, amongst national NHL media. I don't think they overlook him uh, very easily. Whenever you say Crosby, you must say Ovechkin, and and most people have done that. Uh, The fact that he only won one Stanley Cup so far is probably what what ultimately makes people say that but you know at the same time you know he's only one player uh Pittsburgh had terrific teams uh, around Sidney Crosby and you know you could argue that the caps how they were built around Ovechkin were not as deep uh or as plentiful uh as the teams around Crosby were and Sid being a centerman's got a much better chance uh to affect the game so from that standpoint, 
uh, I understand that, that I understand why he asked the question that way, but I, I don't think I don't think Alex takes a back seat to, to anybody um, in conversations uh, about his play and about hockey, uh, because I believe when when people talk about one, they talk about the other, especially as it pertains to Crosby and Ovechkin, the two dominant players of their era. Did the team wait too long during Ovechkin's career to put an emphasis on speed on the ice? Easier said than done. When you're good, uh, getting those kind of players is harder. Uh, that's the problem. And in the, you know, Ted made the 13 year commitment to Ovi and, you know, that automatically puts you uh, in, in a certain way, salary cap wise, obviously, you know, Backstrom was a huge part of that. You had to keep him here. And, you know, in the age of a hard cap, like the NHL is, you don't have a lot of wiggle room. So, you know, you could you you draft for it, but I mean, when you're picking in the late 20s all the time, the opportunities for those players just uh, just aren't there uh, as they were for uh, some other clubs. You recently got to do the Nats radio broadcast. Do you travel with the team a bit? Is that right? Yep, had to get a chance to go to Cincinnati, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Wrigley Field. And it just tremendous, just an unbelievable experience uh, to be able to broadcast Major League Baseball, especially uh, in a park like Wrigley Field. Everything it's all cracked up to be, uh, you know, from what you hear about it. And, you know, the fact that I get to work with, you know, Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler, uh, FP and Bob. I mean, those guys could not have been more fantastic to be around, more helpful uh, our great engineer, Jack Hicks uh, and Vic Ferreira. I mean, they're just, it's a phenomenal group to be around. And let's face it, uh, when you get into this business as a young kid and you want to be a broadcaster, you know, the, the biggest thing is uh, finding a way to get to the highest level. And, you know, if, even if I don't ever get to broadcast an NBA game or an NFL game, uh, NHL game, whatever, I at least level in baseball and that's you know and I got a World Series ring uh, along with it so it's 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 something that uh, can't be taken away from me and I'm part of history of uh, the Nationals greatest season uh, so far here in DC. Incredible just incredible. Pete it's not the season the Naps were hoping for how do they make up for the loss of Strasburg? Uh, that's impossible you know uh, A you're not going to be able to go out and trade for anybody that that comes in uh, and, and takes up his ability. Uh, you just you just have to, right now, go out. And, you know, I don't think they're going to sacrifice the farm, so to speak, today. Um, you know, I don't think Luis Garcia is getting traded anywhere uh, for a pitcher. You know, to me, as I've said all along, the financial payoff for this season just isn't there from an organizational standpoint. Even if you make the playoffs, uh, play at home, you're not hosting any fans. So, you're not making any money from a ticket standpoint, parking concession, anything like that. So from that standpoint, it's not worth it to me um, to go out and, and, and blow up, you know, your pro what little prospects you have left at the highest level um, to go get a pitcher. Only if you can somehow sucker somebody out of a pitcher that's got multiple years of control coming back to me, that's the only way um, that's the only way that you do that. And I just don't see that kind of deal being available out there. Like everybody, I'm sure they're going to be looking for uh, maybe another left-hander to help Doolittle. 
uh, out in the bullpen. I think that's a sure thing that everybody's looking for. And if you can get a starting pitcher with an expiring contract so you're not on the hook for them or a better-than-average starting pitcher who's got years of control, sure, you examine those deals and see if you can get those done because despite the fact that they haven't played great baseball, they're not very far out of a playoff spot. And all you have to do, even with the likes of Corbin and, and Scherzer still there, all you got to do is get in. And in a playoff series, those guys throw three or four games, you got a chance to win. Rizzo hasn't been very good at drafting starters. Uh, has he not been good at drafting them, or have the staff not been good at developing them? No, they, what they've done is they've traded a lot of them. I mean, you go look at the White Sox rotation. Who's the who's the top guy in that rotation? Lucas Giolito. That's right. Who, who drafted him? Mike Rizzo. Um, you know, Jesus, did they give up? Hey, did they give up on Giolito too soon? Then I don't think so. He was not exhibiting any of these traits at the time. Uh, they brought him up even on the major league level. He looked completely over. Pete, you there? Yeah. Okay, I thought we lost you there. Um, to follow up on something you said previously, the um, there are more playoff spots up for grabs this year uh, with the being enticed to repeat do you think the curly w's will at all be active yeah i mean look they want to win every game get me wrong mike rizzo's as competitive as anybody out there davey martinez is competitive as hell uh and so are the players um but again when you by four o'clock this afternoon will they make a deal probably what kind of a deal will it be will it be a major deal i'm, I'm just not sure I, I just don't think so. I mean, look at the pieces they've given away. I mean, they, they don't have a ton of big-time yeah. pieces to give away uh, right now uh, anyway. So, uh, again, do you get a guy with an expiring contract? They, they desperately need another bat, in my mind, uh, of some kind to come in and give this lineup a little bit of a jolt. I mean, you got guys at the top of the lineup that are smacking the baseball and the bottom of the lineup. You know, I mean, look, your leadoff guy only hits leadoff likely one time in the game. Rest of the time, he's just like everybody else. Right now, they got nobody on base when Turner comes up. I mean, the bottom of the lineup habitually here lately has been, uh, you know, one of 10 with a couple of walks, 0 for 9, 1 for 12. And you're not taking advantage of a guy that's got a 15-game hitting streak who went 5 for 5 on Saturday and at one point had eight straight hits. So uh, that's, you know, I don't I, – I, it's way too early to, you know, give up on Victor Robles. But at some point, he's got to start hitting. I mean, there's no question he's a great fielder. He's got to start hitting the ball. Uh, and that's what they're waiting on right now for that piece of the puzzle to click for Victor Robles. Um, well, yeah, I was going to say, uh, starting pitching hasn't been great at drafting. I know you said they've traded some, uh, but they have been very good at drafting fielders. Uh, do you think that it's in Rizzo's nature to push harder this year for the chance at getting a back-to-back? think that weighs on him at all? No, I don't think so. And I, I think they're off the hook in terms of that by losing Strasburg. I mean, your team is not yeah. your team is not at full strength. Your, your team is not at maximum capacity. Uh, winning the World Series was hard enough with Steven Strasburg as part of the rotation. 
You went seven games. You had to win four on the road. And now you don't have him. Uh, so that's, that's just a it, – it's a Herculean task that you know he's going to be back for spring training of next year. Sure, like I said, everybody wants to win every game. And they're going to do everything they can to win every game. But going out and getting pieces of that caliber, um, there's just not many pieces like that. Uh, and to give up what you would have to give up uh, to get pieces like that, uh, they don't have it, and I'm not sure many other teams have it, to be quite honest with you. You've been doing the play-by-play for Navy since 97, is that right? I've been part of their broadcast uh, group since 1997, and I've been the football play-by-play guy since uh, 2013. Okay. Uh, there is nothing comparable to the lead-up to this season. They are still planning on playing their season, Yes. Yep, BYU a week from tonight, uh, national TV audience, prime time against uh, BYU, uh, 8 o'clock next Monday night. Does the Academy take its COVID direction from the Navy, the state of Maryland, or the city of Annapolis? Uh, I think they take a little bit from all, but really come up with their own plan. I mean, they're going to they're gonna keep those kids as protected as possible. So, you know, a lot of, they've not been able to venture off campus and things of that nature. Uh, they have strict protocols in terms of wearing masks around the campus and the football team when they're even at one point, the football team uh, was doing conditioning workouts and many of them were wearing the masks during the conditioning workouts. Uh, so, you know, from that standpoint, uh, every precaution is taken, uh, irregardless of what the local, uh, you know, rules would be. Uh, the Naval Academy is going to do everything it ultimately can to protect the 4,400 students uh, that are on that campus. Are they uh, wearing the face shields on the helmet? Have you noticed that? No. Uh, I I think those things are almost impossible to wear, uh, quite frankly. I mean, a a lot of uh, even NFL teams uh, experimented with some face shields and things of that nature. Um, It's just impossible uh, to ask uh, with what those face shields could possibly do, um, you know, from a breathing standpoint. Uh, you know, we watched, I mean, look, the ultimate litmus test is we watched Austin P in Central Arkansas play Saturday night. All eyes are on their testing this week and to see how many, if any, players come up positive. That's ultimately what we're all looking for. We're waiting with bated breath to see what happens out in the aftermath of the Austin P Central Arkansas game. Who knew those two teams would play the most important college football game uh, of the season? But, you know, if they come out of this game uh, without any positive tests, then, you know, I think we, I think we got a shot to play college football uh, for an entire season. But only until then, until we see the results of the testing, um, that, that's, that's ultimately – uh, what, what's going to decide it uh, for all of us. No fans in the stands this year for Washington football team. They've already announced. What about at the Naval Academy? Uh, right now, no fans there either. Uh, just, you know, again, they're going to they, – they, they, were, they, were, they had contingency plans in place in case uh, they felt like they could do it. But right now, uh, they don't feel that it is um, – you know, a, a safe enough plateau to investigate. And uh, once they play this game, they wouldn't be at home probably for a month. Uh, so they would have a chance to reevaluate that plan somewhere along the way. And I think if at any point they feel they can get fans in the stands, um, they will do it. But uh, as of right now, at least for the opener, no fans in the stands. 
Is Notre Dame on the schedule this year, or is that next year? Uh, they are not on the schedule this year. It interrupts the longest intersectional rivalry in all of college football. Uh, 92 years in a row these teams played. And unfortunately, because of Notre Dame playing under the ACC protocols, um, the, the game couldn't uh, the game couldn't be played. Uh, and, you know, ironically, they got a game. Notre Dame filled with a game with South Florida, uh, which is one of the states that the ACC has a team in. So uh, that met the requirement after Western Michigan went by the wayside because the Mac. Uh, wasn't playing, but uh, Notre Dame will be back on the schedule starting next year. And the teams have announced a deal. They're, they're going to continue playing right now. They've got a contract to play through 2032. Oh, that's awesome. That game was supposed to be in Annapolis this year, was it not? Well, originally it was supposed to be in Dublin. Uh, but once they realized oh. traveling overseas wasn't going to happen, yes, the, the reschedule was going to be in Annapolis. And then obviously uh, things fell apart from there with Notre Dame uh, choosing to play under the ACC's rules. Assuming that they can get through a season, how do the midshipmen look this year? Nine, nine guys back on defense, played a lot last year. Offensively, uh, we're going with a senior quarterback in Dalen Morris. A uh, young man's got a cannon for an arm, so we might be able to throw the ball a little deeper, a little more efficient uh, at, when we go to the air. Uh, we've got one of the best fullbacks in the country, uh, and J- Jamel Carruthers, outstanding running back. And um, we've got a, a stable of slot backs and wide receivers uh, who can make plays at the skill position. So I think um, I think the sky's the limit for the team. And uh, the expectation is, as it is every year, is to, uh, you know, win uh, the, the American Athletic Conference, beat Army, and uh, go to a bowl game. Big-time Power Five schools have been trying to pluck the head coach for – Half a decade now. Um, no reason to think he's leaving anytime soon, is there? Well, I mean, look, I mean, you you strive to coach at the highest level of your profession. And for Kenny Amatololo, uh, you know, he's turned down offers to interview uh, at, at places. Uh, Arizona had a great chance to hire him a couple of years ago. The AD let Khalil Tate talk him out of it. That turned out to be a disaster. Um, you know, Tate just got released uh, by the Philadelphia Eagles. Our quarterback, Malcolm Perry, is starring in the Miami Dolphins camp. You do the math. Um, you know, I mean, that's – Ken Niamatololo is the single greatest leader of people I've ever met. Uh, and that, that's irregardless of business, what the business is. He's tremendous at allowing his people to coach. He tells them to get the heck out of the office on Sunday, go home, be fathers, be husbands, be with your families. You know, I mean, he, you can come in and watch our practice three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, anybody from anywhere, as long as you have your ID and walk through the gate and you can come watch us practice Um, because everybody's got the same film. There's no huge secrets out there. Yeah. You may add a specific play or two uh, because you're playing a certain team and you like a certain matchup, but so many people, you know, just go way overboard uh, in terms of this stuff. That's what I love about Ken Niamatololo. He just says, hey, we're lining up. This is what we're running. You know what we're running. Stop us. Yep. And for most of his career, people have not been able to do that. From one great man to another, Coach John Thompson passed this morning. Have you met Big John? Do you have any stories for us about Big John? Devastating, because I grew up a Georgetown fan. Yep. And... Um, 
you know, when the Big East started, uh, we had the Big East was on our local TV station, Channel 5 in D.C. So I, I've been I, I've been with them from the beginning. In fact, I wrote on my uh, Pete on Sports Facebook page this morning about years that I think, unfortunately, get overlooked by a lot of people about John Thompson. And those were the years before Patrick Ewing came when Georgetown was already really good. They'd gone to the NCAA tournament in 75 and 76 and 79 and 80, uh, even before Patrick got there, made a run to the garden in the NIT in 78. So I think sometimes those years of John's career get forgotten. I mean, he had one losing season coaching career. That was his first one. He took over a team that was three and 23 the year before and had given up 86 points a game. Now, remember, in 1972, they didn't have the three-point line. So they were giving up 86 points a game with two-point field goals. And John went 12-14 and in his first season. After that, he was 500 or better every other season during the course of his coaching career. And the great thing about John Thompson was, sure, yeah, I mean, there's no question he was a tremendous basketball coach. But John Thompson opened the doors of education to young men that might not necessarily have had a chance to get a Georgetown education. He stood up for – uh, predominantly African-American students who were affected by uh, Prop 48, 1989, when he walked out of the gym uh, during a game uh, to protest Prop 48 because it denied freshmen uh, scholarships uh, based on standardized test scores. And the, the great thing about John was his work off of the court that allowed uh, young people to get an education, and certainly a Georgetown education, put your resume uh, right at the top of the list. And he opened those doors for a lot of people who are very productive today as a result uh, of their attending Georgetown University. And we, we often forget about great coaches who get great results. We forget about the things they do and the doors they open uh, for their student athletes because not everybody makes the NBA. And, you know, the ones that didn't, many of them are tremendous people now in, in terms of business, attorneys, uh, whatever. And, you know, that's those are the things that John Thompson stood up for, wanted to make a difference with, uh, and has obviously uh, done that uh, very well, uh, did it very well during his career at Georgetown University. Pete, this was a heck of a lot of fun today. Hopefully we can get you back on once the midshipmen take the field. You got anything um, coming up? you like to tell uh, us about? Uh, just the Navy-BYU game coming up uh, next, uh, next Monday night uh, as the mids open up the season uh, against the Cougars. And uh, our uh, Rosecroft Raceway reopens on September the 23rd. And you can watch our races there at uh, rosecroft.com. Other than that, status quo every day at 106.7 The Fan, as I do every day working with uh, Chad Dukes in the afternoon doing the updates. Thank you, buddy. Doug, appreciate it. All right. Pete Medhurst, everybody.